0: I don't know if you noticed, but we're we're picking up speed. We're going downhill a little bit, and picking up speed. We're actually gonna um, uh, I'm gonna approach it in a little bit of a different way this morning, where we're gonna read most of chapter four. Four and five cover the same event. Okay, chapter um, chapter four is kind of the standard narrative that we have in the book of Judges. Chapter five is a poem and a song. That is talking about that same event and so what we'll do this morning is we'll be reading through all of chapter four we're going to do it in sections and we're going to pull in the parts of five that are speaking to that same section so we're going to examine it in that way so having said that I need your help there's going to be a lot of reading you don't want to just hear me the whole time So please be ready. We're going to be just reading through Chapter 4, section by section, and you'll you'll see by the slides what section we're doing. But be ready to to step up and help out. Um, Part of what happens here today is that there's a call out to the tribes to come help with this battle, and Deborah calls out the tribes that didn't help out. I might have to do the same thing if you don't read, right? let, Let everyone know who it was that didn't read. So... Be ready, ready to do that this morning. By the way, chapter 5 is really a, a beautiful um, poem that talks about this event, and it, and it does it in a very majestic way, talking about the work of God and, and what he's doing. And, and really there's this contrast between him and Baal and his dominance over, over nature. We'll see that as we go through today. Because Baal was was the god of fertility, he was the one that controlled those things, and God comes in and squashes that, says I'm I'm in control of those things. But there's a comparison in the beginning that taught that's laying out God as the warrior, and then it's it's laying out Israel's response and how and how they are um, working with him, and the things that he's accomplishing. So as we go through, we're going to be reading chapter four and parts of chapter five, and we'll kind of go back and forth on that. So as a review, last week, we had a question about Israel's line, and so I wanted to actually come back to that and just go through a couple slides here related to that. So um, we talked about, uh, you know, I was showing the where the tribes had come from and specifically the Canaanites, and it was asked, thank you, it was asked about, um, Israel's line. So I just wanted to show that some this morning. You see here... All right. Well, you see the line of Adam, and then it goes through Seth, and it goes all the way down. So that's from Adam to Noah. Okay? That's what we have laid out here. And this, this is from last week. And then we'll see through Shem. I don't know how well you can see that. I'm actually going to leave that up as I kind of go through a review so you can you can look at that. But what's neat is the different tribes and the areas that, that they're in kind of laid out there. I, I like this chart, the way that they had done it. But Israel's line is through here, so through Shem and up here, all the way over to Abram, uh, Isaac, and Jacob. And so that, that top line is Israel, and you could see some of the other tribes and, and where, they, where they had come from. So we've covered chapters 1 to 3. We talked about how there were two prologues, that we're kind of laying the foundation and telling us what we're going to be seeing. Chapter 3, 7 began last week. We, we covered, it began the first cycle that it, it walks through. And this cycle is that they did evil in the sight of the Lord, that the Lord delivers Israel to an oppressor. Israel cries out. God responds by delivering Israel, saving them from the oppressor and then they have peace for X number of years. And so that that cycle, Othniel, we looked at Othniel, uh, Ehud, and um, Shamgar was at the end. Othniel is kind of the, think of him as the template. Like it's a very short, basic thing that is laid out there, but that's kind of the template that you see through a lot of these cycles in Judges. Ehud, that is exciting, isn't it? Um, Ehud. On the other hand, we get some detail and some things that are difficult to process and to think through, right? The way that he assassinated a leader. And we're gonna have another one today um, that again will be pretty difficult for us to to think through. Not as much of a struggle for us probably, but um, we have to consider so many things. So we had Othniel, we had Ehud who was left-handed, and does anyone remember why that was really interesting? Yes.
1: Two reasons. This the last time. The reason I listed uh, makes it harder to search him, and the reason you listed as uh, the Benjamin's are effectively the right hand.
0: Yes, yes, exactly. Yep, that's a good way to say it. And then we had Shamgar, uh, and we'll we'll talk about some of the ways in which who the Lord uses and how He's accomplishing His will. But on the big picture, keep in mind. The Lord works through providence and preparation, because each of, the, each of the people that we see being a deliverer, remember, Judges is not talking about somebody sitting on a bench making a determination of some kind, Judges is talking about deliverers, and there's going to be a little bit of crossover as we look at the specific judge today, um, but the Lord works through providence and preparation. So the proposition is for today, the Lord has delivered powerfully and uniquely. This morning we will see again the Lord deliver powerfully through an even stranger circumstance. God's sovereign saving power is not limited by the channels it flows through. God uses people prepared to act. And so that's the the theme for today as as we walk through this. We're going to start with uh, Judges 4, 1 to 3. And here's your first test. Who would read that? Awesome. Nice. Is it 4133? Yes. Thank you. So we we have here kind of the standard way in which it gets laid out that, again, they've turned from the Lord. They did evil in the sight of the Lord. The Lord sends an oppressor. They are oppressed for a number of years. And here we have some specific details about Sisera and where he had come from. And he has 900 chariots of iron. We'll look through some of the details as we walk through that today. But the first thing we need to start with is that We talked about how judges is not necessarily sequential, that some of these events are probably happening at the same time in different parts of the country, right, in different parts of that area. But here, we actually see that this is sequential because oftentimes it it will list the judge at the end of the chapter saying, and then the judge died, and the next chapter will start with, and the people did evil in the sight of the Lord. But that didn't happen here. Chapter 3 ended with Shamgar, and it didn't say what happened with Ehud. But here we see it's sequential because it's telling us that Israel did again what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. And so this was sequentially after that. We know we have that pretty clearly here. Um, and we're also going to read chapter 5, verses 6 to 8, that's talking about the same thing. Who would read that for us? Chapter 5, verses 6 to 8. Thank you.
2: In the days of Shamgar the son of Anna, in the days of Jael, the highways were deserted, travelers went by roundabout ways, the peasantry ceased, they ceased in Israel, until I Deborah arose, until I arose, a mother in Israel. New gods were chosen, and war was in the gates, not a shield or a spear was seen among forty thousand in Israel.
0: And so this this gives us a little bit more information about the, the situation in which they find themselves. And when it, when it talks about that, that there weren't, they weren't traveling the main highways because the 900 chariots were dominating that, and that was a problem for them to be out there. So they went kind of on the side where the chariots wouldn't bother them. We're gonna look at some of the landscape in a, in a few, but they, they didn't wanna confront head on the Canaanites and specifically Sisera and those, those chariots. They dominated, that area is, is the Jezreel Valley and so it's a great place for chariots. And so they, they really couldn't go there. And, and it also talks about there how um, when in verse 8 it says, and New guards were chosen, then war was in the gates. Was shield or spear to be seen among 40,000 in Israel? What that's talking about is that the new gods are chosen is they're pursuing those idols of the Canaanites, right? The very thing he told them not to do, and that would happen. Joshua warned them this was going to happen. And so they're pursuing those idols. And, and part of what happened, it's really interesting to see that, this light on it because when it's saying that there was no shield um, or spears, it's saying that they, they, they didn't feel a need to defend themselves. They weren't fighting anything anymore. They were actually becoming Canaanized. They were becoming like the Canaanites. They were following their gods, marrying their daughters and their daughters and, um, and vice versa, right? And so they they were becoming the same as the people. There was no need for them to have any kind of defense because in most ways, in most practical ways, they were at peace with them. But the problem was is that they were being oppressed multiple times. Lastly, the Shamgar, if you go back to um, chapter 3, verse 31, um, it says, After him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, who had killed 600 Philistines with an ox goad, and he also saved Israel. So again, this is just placing it to understand sequentially this is after that time. And Shamgar is, is a piece of that. And the 20 years is the longest oppression that we've seen so far. That's been really with Othniel and Ehud. Doesn't say anything about Shamgar. So this is setting the scenario in which it's the, the, they find themselves in the same situation and this is the Canaanites that are coming to get them. Before we talked about The Moabites weren't one of the tribes really listed that he said was going to be a problem. And from Mesopotamia, there were people that came in. They weren't listed. But this is the Canaanites. This is the specific one that was listed and that they are struggling because they are are part of that culture. So then we have Judges 4, 4 to 10. Who would read that for us? I'll get it. Thank you. Now
3: Deborah, prophetess, the wife of Lapidot, was judging Israel at that time. She used to sit under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the sons of Israel came up to her for judgment. Now she sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam from Kadesh Naphtali, and said to him, Behold the Lord, the God of Israel has commanded, go and march to Mount Tabor, and take with you 10,000 men from the sons of Naphtali and from the sons of Zebulun. I will draw out to you Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army with his chariots and his many troops to the river Kishon, and I will give him into your hand. And Barak said to her, if you will go with me, then I will go, but if you will not go with me, I will not go. She said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the honor shall not be yours on the journey that you are about to take, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hands of a woman. Then Deborah rose and went with Barak to Kadesh. Barak called Zebulun and Naphtali together with Kadesh, to, together to Kadesh. And 10,000 men went up with him. Deborah also went up with him.
0: Thank you. So we're going to look a little bit about the, the layout of, of where these things are happening, just so we can kind of get the context of, of the geography of, that we're examining. Um, so first... Let me just back up a second, I'll leave that there. What is what would be stunning to the to the Jews at this point? That, that passage we just read, four to ten, what would be stunning? Anything that stands out? A woman leader. Okay. Good. So that's that's one of the things that we're gonna see is a problem, is because now prophetess that That's not unusual for them. There there are other female prophets in Scripture, and Miriam was even before this, right? So that's not something that they're going to struggle with. But the fact that she's calling Barak to to do this thing that he's been called to do by God, and that he's refusing, and that he's saying, I need you to go with me. We're going to kind of look at some of the dynamics of what's happening in that. But to us, that doesn't necessarily stand out as much as it would to them. As they, as they start to see that, that a woman is actually leading this in many ways, right? But the, the title of this this morning is Will, will the Real Deliverer Please Stand Up? <laughs> I don't know if you guys are familiar with it. Um, I had I asking Patty and trying to remember. That was from uh, to, tell to Tell the Truth. Thank you. And apparently there's a newer one, so I'm thinking of the one that was, I went and looked it up, it was from the 50s. There's some newer one, I don't know anything about that, so I'm not saying anything about that. But basically the premise of it was they would bring, was it usually three people out there, and they would be telling stories about, you know, is this the wife, is this the husband, is this the boss, is this whoever. Like, they were all different things. And and so those those people were kind of leading them on and saying, oh, I did this, I did that, and then they had to guess in the end, right? and. I know some of you younger people would be surprised, but one of the most exciting parts is when they were actually standing up. Oh, no, it's not me, right? That was the special effects we had at the time. Somebody could pretend to stand up, and then they sat back down. And so trying to figure out who was the real whatever. And today, the question that we're asking ourselves as we walk through is, who was the real deliverer here? And we start with seeing Deborah, and she, she summons Barak, uh, Barak, I'm sorry. Uh, this area right here, we're going to look at in a minute. That's where Sisera ends up running to. So up here, Zainim, Zainim um, over here on the right, right below the Sea of Galilee, that's where Sisera ends up. And just north of there is, is the area that Barak is from. So it's just a little bit north, maybe five miles north of there. And he gets called to down here. So Deborah says, hey, come see me down here. Now Israel is a very small nation. It's 290 miles um, north to south. And at the widest point, it's 85 miles in width. And so this is only 60 miles between those two. Okay, But you can see the terrain and what it might take, right, probably coming down this way, somehow cutting over but the terrain and what it might take for him to get there. So she summons Barak to come see her, and she gives Barak prophecy and instructions in in the NIV. I'm sorry, not the NIV, the NASB. Uh, What does it say in verse 6? NASB, what do you guys have?
3: Now she said, and summoned Barak, son of Abinwal from Kadesh Natholi.
0: Yep, keep going.
3: And said to him, Behold, the Lord, the God of Israel, has commanded, go.
0: Okay, good. So, see, there in the ESV, it says, Has not the Lord. And so there's a, there's a little bit of distinction there, kind of implying that Barak already knew that the Lord had said this, right? And she had to call him all the way down from up north to come see him. And the, the area of battle that we're going to be looking at, we'll be getting into more detail is up in this section here, Harosheth hagoyim up to the, uh, to the east and to the north, and that's the area where the battle's gonna be, and you see Hazor up there, where Jabin, the king of the Canaanites is, and Harosheth hagoyim is where Sisera is, and they actually the two um, armies kind of come together to meet Israel there. But she, she had to call him from just, just north by the Sea of Galilee all the way down to tell him, hey, you should fight this battle. So he, he has been called, and <clears throat> he, he gets there, and whether he knew or not, Scripture doesn't specifically say, but he, even after he hears it, he's resistant. He says, I won't do that unless you come.
3: That's pretty bold.
0: Why? That's
3: pretty bold. I mean, the, bold. the Lord God says, I'm mm-hmm. not going to do this unless. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and we see it again, right, with Gideon, right, in the, in the, in the very next cycle that we go through Gideon does the exact same thing he's like well if you put the dew on the fleece then and now put it on the ground okay I guess I guess I'll do it right testing the Lord in that way it's funny because a lot of times you hear people talk about setting a fleece and they think they're doing this positive thing and no that's that's not a positive thing that was a very negative thing that he was doing but he refuses to go without her and he says, now remember, as this account is, is, is being told, there's, there's a bigger narrative that we have to keep in mind all the time, right? And the, and the way in which it's being communicated, we said last week, things are not accidental. There's nothing in here that is frivolous and doesn't belong here. It's all intentional. And here, as, as the person that is giving us this, says, and Cicero will be delivered into the hand of a woman. Right after he just said, I won't go unless you go. So who is the woman that Cicero would be delivered into? You would think from that, if that's the only context, I think you read ahead, Greg. I mean, you're, come on. <laughs> um, if You would think that it was Deborah, right? Because she just said, he just said, I won't go unless you go. And she says, you won't get the glory for this because... Um, Cicero will be delivered into the hand of a woman <clears throat> now the, the tribes end up getting called out and we're going to look at that in a second but um, Ishikar is the Harasheth Hagoyim right to the to east of that that is um, Zebulun and then this is Ishikar over here and so you can see the rest of them where they are and even those from Ephraim and so if someone would read for us chapter 5 Verses 12 to 15, 15a, really. Who would read that for us? Did you say 12 to 15? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 12 to
3: 15a. Go ahead, Andy. Uh,
2: awake, awake, Deborah.
0: Awake, awake, break out in a song. Arise, Barak, lead away your captives, O son of Abanoam. Then down march the remnant of the noble, the people of the
3: Lord, march down, the mighty. From Ephraim,
2: their root, they marched down into the valley, following you, Benjamin, and your kinsmen. From Machir, marched down the commanders, and from Zebulun,
0: those who appeared to the tenant's staff. The princes of Isaac came with Deborah, and Isaac, faithful to Pharaoh. Into the valley
1: they rushed at his hands.
0: And then it, it goes on, it starts talking about Reuben at that point, and as what's being done is they're all being called up to where this battle is going to be at Mount Tabor. We're going to look at that in a little bit more detail. But they're, they're calling all the tribes to come fight this battle for the Canaanites that are dominating in Just because Sisera and the chariots are out here at Harosheth Hagoyim, there's an army that's still with Hazer in the north. And just a quick note on that, actually in Joshua 11 this same battle was fought and says that Hazor was destroyed against against the Canaanites and even talks about Jabin but a lot of times as we read through this just like we did with the king from Mesopotamia there's a there's a name that's used that is more to do with the position than like the person's name itself and so it's it's hard to reconcile the different commentators go back and forth is this actually how can this be if this happen previously or is this talking about the same event and so there are st- some struggles through that, and I'll just leave you there with that. You can go chase it down if you'd like. But that just because that was destroyed at that time, the king is still ruling from that area. And we'll I will look at another passage in um, 1 Samuel referring to this same account as well. So Mount Tabor is by the Sea of Galilee, um, and, and you see the, the landscape there, how how mountainous it is all around. And Jezreel Valley runs right through here. So that Harashithagoyim, that's a really nice place. So out on the coast, it's pretty flat. This valley right here is, is, is flat, really good for that. And, and so that's where chariots are going to dominate. And he, um, Sisera, dominated that, that whole area. And then if you read further in Deborah, at, and the end, uh, end of 15, talks about Reuben, and it says "You know the great searchings of the heart. You are sitting around, thinking about listening, listening for the whistling of the shepherds and like just saying, why didn't you come? You should have come to this battle. And they're, and they're called out. Multiple tribes are called out in the midst of this, saying you didn't show up when you should have. And then Judges 4.11. Who would read that for us? Hmm? Now heaven you- So that that Kadesh is again talking about that area that was a little bit to the north, where Barak is. And so, verse 11. What's unique about what we just read? If you're reading this for the first time, and you see this about Heber the Kenite separated from the Kenites, what's strange about this? Verse 11. He gives a different name for Moses' father-in-law. Okay, wasn't going there, but thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and the, and the word that's used for father-in-law apparently is similar to brother-in-law, and so that, there's confusion there. It just makes it even worse. That's good. That's great insight, but there's something even more basic.
2: How would he be protected if he was away from
0: his people? Okay, good. Yeah, we're going to look at some, some of his placement of where he is. But the way I would say it, what's this got to do with anything? Like, we're reading along, we're reading about the Canaanites, that they're gathering the tribes, all this is coming down, and then we're told about Heber moved, right? That's, that's what it says. He relocated. What's that got to do with anything? Now, as you go through the account, someone like me can get lost in that pretty easy, say, it throws you off. Like, why are you telling me this, right? And we will find out in a little while why, why they're saying that. But it seems to be a random piece of unrelated information. But we've seen him before. We talked about this, that in in the prologues, those things aren't unintentional. Again, everything that's done is intentional. In Judges 1.16, the descendants of the Kenite Moses' father-in-law went up with the people of Judah from the city of Palms into the wilderness of Judah, which lies in the Negev near Arad, and they went and settled with the people. So... This is, in, this is in the south that they went and settled. The Kenites went and, and settled there, but we find Heber up in the north by the Sea of Galilee, right and so it's a it seemingly is this insignificant fact, and not only did did they all move there, and they were all kind of in that place with the, with the Israelites, but he decided to go off by himself north and this is God's preparational providence. See, things are not in there for no reason. And there's, there's a purpose that we learned about this in the very first prologue. The purpose that it's mentioned here. And we're going to see how he separated himself from Israel. And um, actually what had happened is, is he actually became friendly with the Canaanites. And that, that's going to be a factor as well that we're going to see in a minute here. But the passage, these two passages aren't accidentally here. And I just want to stop and think about for a second, pulling it into our time, these, these random things that seem to be in there. And, you know, Hebrews says, hey, uh, like the Beverly Hillbillies, let's move, right? They all hop on a truck and they go north, right? And we say, what? why is that important? That's some small thing. That's, that's not showing up on Jabin, the king of Canaanites, and he's not saying, hey, Heber moved, what's going on? Right? All of Israel, some guy moved, and okay, that's weird. Why are you moving away from your people, but okay. And I would ask us, are there people here that have moved? Right? The things that are, that are going on in our lives, the small things that we think are, can be pretty insignificant, a conversation we have, a change in jobs, decision to do X versus Y right this seems to be a very small thing and we and it's what I love about scriptures we see God's hand at work in these things we don't always see it so clearly in our own lives but one thing that we believe in the doctrines of grace is God is sovereign over all things and so Hebrew moving was by God's hand you and I moving is by God's hand His sovereignty is in the midst of that. What is the purpose behind that? Is it just some random thing that you decided when you rolled the dice and said, I'll go to Tennessee? These are are not random acts. And we should be, you know, what's the call to the people of Israel? What, What is the call to this generation as opposed to the prior generation? In the book of Judges, what is he saying to them? You forgot your God, and you forgot his works, right? This generation did not remember the works of the Lord. And that's that's really key when we walk through our lives and the things that we encounter day-to-day, moment by moment. We have to always be keeping in mind the work that God has been doing and that God is continuing to work, even now, even in our seemingly random things that we do. So it is not outside the will of God. In Judges 5.24, it says, Most blessed of women is Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. Of tent-dwelling women, she is uh, women most blessed. And so this is an important passage when we're going to consider what she does to remember what's said right here. But Heber deciding to move north, this is the, this is the result that God was bringing. He had providentially prepared this very moment this very scripture to, to come about. All right, now we're gonna look at the battle. Would someone read for us Judges 4, 12 to 16? Judges 4, 12 to 16.
1: Yes. Then they told Sisera that Barak the son of Abbin Noam had gone up to Mount Tabor. Cicero called together his chariots, nine hundred iron chariots, and all the people who were with him, from Haroshat to the river K- Kishon. Deborah said to Barak, Arise, for this day is and for this is the day which the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Behold, the Lord has gone up before you. So Barak went down to Mount Tabor with ten thousand men following him. The Lord bound Sisera and all his chariots and all his army with the edge of the sword before Barak, and Sisera alighted from his chariot and fled away on foot. But Barak pursued the chariots, and the army as far as Haroshet, Hyegeum, and all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not even one was left.
0: Thank you. Thank you. So here we have the account of, of this battle, right? And again, what's interesting is much of the text that is in chapter four is not related to this big battle. They're gonna fight the Canaanites, you know, all these forces are being gathered together, gathered together and yet much of what's presented here is actually having to do with just Sisera. We're, we're gonna cover that in a minute. But I do wanna talk through this is Mount Tabor, and so, and we're, we'll look at the map in a second about how they get here, but just keep in mind, that Mount Tabor, it, it clearly stands out if I say, where is Mount Tabor? You don't spend a lot of time looking for it, right? It's right there. So the plains, this is the Jezreel Valley, the plains are a beautiful place for Sisera and his chariots. But for a certain period of the year, it's actually the Kishon River overflows and floods those plains. That's why that's so fertile and looks great, right? And so the chariots don't do great in mud. They have a hard time in mud. And we don't know. It doesn't specifically say the time of year it was, but we have to believe that if Cicero says, let's go get them, he wasn't like, oh, yeah, it's muddy. I forgot, right? He knows when it's muddy and when it's not. And so this was probably a time when it was dry and when it was good for the chariots to go. And it's, it's neat, the word that's used um, is, is that it talked about Cicero be drawn out. It's it's to to pull him in, to pull him into a trap. <clears throat> um, would someone read chapter 5, verses 19 to 21? Again, another look at this specific event. Chapter 5, 19 to 21, who would read that? The
2: kings came and fought. There's fought the kings of Canaan and Tanakh. Of the They took no plunder and silver. The stars fought from heaven, from their forces they fought against Sisera. The torrent of kishon swept them away. The ancient torrent, the torrent kishon all my soul march
1: on with strength.
0: Thank you. So what what does that bring your mind to? An army coming to fight against Israel, and they're washed away. Does that bring your mind to anything? Does make you think of another event?
3: Thank you
2: very much.
0: Revelation, someone say? Yeah, I
3: understand they say when the water's coming.
0: Okay. The Red Sea. The Red Sea, yep, yeah. And so, now, again, they didn't remember. One of the one of the commentators, he actually, he presents this in a manner, the book of Judges, in a manner to say that each of these cycles of deliverance, right, of oppression and deliverance is a mini exodus, that it happens over and over again, that that's what's being communicated. I don't. I'm not smart enough to understand how all that's written, right? But you you got to think that these people that were told didn't remember the works of the Lord. Here you are again, all of a sudden with an army that is being destroyed, related to the water, Kishon's rivers being overflowed, and and really in that chapter five, um, where it says in verse 20. From heaven, the stars fought. From their courses, they fought against Sisera, And then it says what, what happened with Kishon, and that basically that heavy rains came probably at a time they weren't expecting it, probably at a time that they didn't usually do that. And a very clear picture of the Lord at work in the midst of this, that the the God that the Canaanites worshipped was dominated by the Israelite God because he brought rain when there shouldn't be rain. And so it would be an insult to, to Baal and to, uh, the one who was over weather and fertility. So let's look at the map. So here you have Jabin and his army come down, right? This is Kadesh, where um, Barak had come from, had gone to meet Deborah, And so here's Mount Tabor. And I don't know how well you can see it, but the plain kind of extends into here, into this mountain range. Okay, And so uh, Sisera is up here at Herosheth Hagoyim, and he, those chariots can travel really easily on those plains. And so you have the army that comes this way, and it says that they had, uh, had a battle here. In chapter 5 we see that. Chapter 4 it doesn't mention that. And Sisera came from here as well, And then they both, when they were here, heard that the forces were gathering together at Mount Tabor, that Israel was actually coming together at Mount Tabor. And so they they are going to go fight them right there. Now, again, remember those planes and everything. And if we just go back to this Mount Tabor, what happened is that they actually gathered behind that mountain so that when the Canaanite army came, it's coming across the plains, and then they pour it out from behind that mountain, right? And all of a sudden, Sisera says, we're in mud, we can't go anywhere. And Israel, Israel comes out, all the different tribes come out and attack and destroy them. And it's a great defeat that happens there. And so this, you would think, as, as we look at this, this is amazing, because the Canaanites who had dominated Israel couldn't go onto the highways. They had to go on the byways behind the scenes. right? You would think that this would be the height. Uh, Israel destroyed them. But this isn't it. As, as this is laid out by the author, this isn't the height of the story here. But we have a picture of what happened. So um, they come and they're, they're, they're defeated by Israel, and the whole army goes back to Harish of including Sisera. So Army came this way. He came this way. But all the army goes back. They they flee back. It's probably that yellow streak, right? Yeah. Cowards get it. Okay. So they go back, and Israel follows them. Um, Barak follows them back to that uh, where he had come from. And then we get into the account of Sisera. Would someone read Judges 4:17 to 22? Thank you. But Cisera went away
2: on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, for there was peace between Jael and the king of Hazor and the house of Heber the Kenite. And Jael came out to meet Cisera and said to him, "Turn aside, my lord. Turn aside to me. Do not be afraid." So he turned aside to her into the tent, and she covered him with a rug. And she and he said to her, "Please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty." So she opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. And he said to her, Stand at the opening of the tent, and if any man comes and asks you, is anyone here, say no. But Jael, the wife of Heber, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand. Then she went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground while he was lying fast asleep from weariness. So he died. And behold, as Barak was pursuing, Sisera, Jael, went out to meet him and said to him, Come, and I will show you the man whom you are seeking. So he went into her tent, and there
0: lay Sisera dead with the tent peg in his tomb. Thank you. And so this is actually the main account. This is the main thing that is trying to be communicated here. All the other details are important, but this is bringing this, this story to a climax. This is all of it is coming, and this is what is is meant for us to understand. And so, I just want to go back to this map for a second. It says that when Sisera, when the army was defeated, he got off his chariot and he, he went away and he went to Heber was, where Heber was, right? J.L. in Heber. Do you, that would mean that he traveled from here and this is his fleeing. So he traveled from here all the way down here and caught up here. See, he was, he was avoiding this area because Israel had just dominated that and so he had to he had to actually work his way around that but that's pretty far i you know when i first was reading this i was thinking oh he you know he went two blocks over to JL's tent right that's six, that's probably at 60 miles straight across i don't know how many miles that is but think about what it takes to do that i don't i don't know that that happens in like 30 minutes right that takes a long time to travel that distance and to be chased down Yes, yeah, hey, he's it's separated, yeah. He was mm-hmm. Yes, we should have a yellow streak there, too. Yeah. Um, so the, the troops are all in that battle. I'm guessing he sneaks away and just is headed out of there, and he ends up with, at J.L.'s tent. And again, just going back to the point from before, Heber deciding to move north seemingly insignificant for whatever reasons he had to go north here is, is prominently presented in this story. But another piece that we, we have to think about is that when he moved north and he was in this area, it says that, that they were at peace, that they were friendly to the Canaanites. That's why Sisera would go into Jael's tent. If that was an Israelite, he wouldn't go into the tent. See, the Canaanites were a nomadic people, and they had a rule that if somebody came into your tent, they couldn't be harmed. Like, no matter what happens, you have to protect them. They are under, under your protection, and you've and you got to make sure that they don't get harmed. So he comes to the very people that he probably doesn't realize that they have a connection to Israel, but they had a relationship. He knows the Canaanites because he, he lived right there. And so they had this relationship, and part of that process, JL is able to convince him to come into the tent. And as we think about what JL did, um, let's let's read. We'll go back for a second and read chapter five, verses twenty-five to twenty-seven. Someone read that for us. Chapter five, verses twenty-five to twenty-seven. Yes, thank you.
3: She asked for water, and she ate a meal. And in my gifts of bull, she brought him he her. She reached out her hand for the tin babe. And her right hand for the part of the family. Then she struck his She smashed his head. And she shattered and pierced his temple. Between her feet, he bowed. He fell. He lay. Between her feet, he bowed, he fell. Where he bowed, there he fell dead.
0: Thank you. So this gives us a little bit more insight. Not only is there a prior relationship between the Canaanites and and this specific people, Heber and his wife, but now as he knows their, their law that harm can't come to him, but she makes that even easier, right? He asked for milk, he gave her something, gave him something better than that. And so some commentators struggle a great deal with Ehud assassinating a leader, and with jail, killing a man, right? He came, and, and she has a, they have a rule that he's not supposed to get harmed. And she was, what's very clear, she was really deceptive. Now, the way in which she came up with this plan, I don't think she was sitting there on that side of the nation saying, I think Sisera's going to end up here. And this is what I'm going to do, right? I don't think that was thought through before. I think in the moment Cicero showed up, and she started devising a plan at that moment. We're not told in scripture what she was thinking, but she came up with a plan to kill him. The other thing is that the Kenites being a nomadic people, they lived in tents, and something that could be easily missed is that the fact that she used a tent peg and a hammer, two things, one, that it makes complete sense, right? If I needed a tent peg to to do something, I'd be searching my house for a long time and never find one, right? But that's not the case here. It was the common tools that were around. Not only that, but the women in a nomadic tribe are often setting up the tents. So not only is the, that piece of equipment available, but she's skilled at it. She's likely skilled at it. And so when it's talking about that she hammered it down into his head, like she was somebody who had strength and had done this probably a thousand other times, setting up tents. So notice how Jael used the tools of her trade to kill him. Like Ehud, this is another example of the human agent, Jael, utilizing her intelligence and skills combined with the divine agent, God, sovereignly bringing the circumstances in which he delivers Sisera to his death. And so in Judges, the thing I'm just appreciating more and more is that they are sinful people, fallen people, foreign people right women that are delivering these very things by God's providence that that the actions are not just God having the river Kishon overwhelm the shores and stop all the chariots that there are human agents that must act in the midst of God's providence as he's carrying those things out that's the picture that is, is just more clear all the time. You go back to Shamgar, how did he kill those Philistines? Code. With an ox goad? right? That's a weird weapon to kill others with. And God uses common things. His sovereignty, he brings about the circumstance both for Ehud and here, the circumstance that Sisera would end up at her, her tent door and that she would step forward and fulfilling the very thing that the Lord said. And she is the one obviously, that Deborah was talking about, that he'd be delivered into the hand of a woman. Yes.
2: Is chapter five of the wedding language for him being asleep, it sounds like that he's awake, he goes between her feet, bows
1: down to her? Hmm.
0: Yeah, that's a good question. I think if you look at chapter four, he's asleep under a rug, so she's trying to kind of hide him and which is also really helpful so he doesn't have his arms to defend himself or anything, plus he just passed out. Like the the giving of the water, like I'm interpreting all this, the giving of the water would have been refreshing. The giving of the curd and the milk that she gave him, actually in his exhaustion, right? Remember how far he traveled? That just, he just went right to sleep. So he he's in a dead sleep is my understanding. And so him falling down just means that, that it's, um, he's powerless before her and so, between her feet he died and that's like that's the other offensive thing is to be killed by a woman. We'll see that later in judges same thing right To be killed by a woman, for a warrior, especially Cicero who dominated this area, that's insulting. that's the worst kind of death. We see someone later that says, "Please kill me before the stone that just landed on my head takes me out." right So in judges 4, 23, and 24, it's starting to wrap this up. Does someone read that for us? Judges 4, 23, 24? I will. Thank you. So the gospel dated on the
1: day Jabin the king of Canaan to the Lord of Son of Israel. The end of the Son of Israel was heavier and heavier on Jabin the King of Canaan, until they had destroyed Jabin.
0: Thank you. So ultimately, we see here that it's, it's the people of Israel that destroyed Jabin. So the army was defeated, but there was still Jabin that had to be destroyed because the king was still in power, even without an army. He wouldn't be able to do that for long. But it's it's just interesting to see that God subdued Jabin, the king of the Canaanites. Um, But Israel was the one that carried that out. But the unusual thing we have here is that chapter 4, like before and we'll see in the future, doesn't end with, and they had rest for X number of years. It doesn't end like that. And it's, it's really what ties it together so closely. Obviously, it's talking about the same event, but ties it so closely to chapter 5. Because chapter 5 is the one that actually completes it. In verse 31, it says, So may all your enemies perish, O Lord, but your friends be like the sun as he rises in his might, and the land had rest for 40 years. And so 5 is actually the completion of that. But as we look at the end of this account, we're left with the question, Will the real deliverer please stand up? So, who was the real deliverer? Was it was it Deborah? No. no? Okay. Was it Barak? No. Oh boy. Not a lot more choices here. Was it jail? No. Huh. The people of Israel. Um, I don't have time, unfortunately. If you... In 1 Samuel 12, there's going to be another slide here. We're going to look at this. But in 1 Samuel 12, it lists Barak, right? It says that he was the deliverer of Sisera. Specifically says that. But you guys know what the answer is. What is the answer? It's a Sunday school answer. Thank you.
3: Jesus. Yeah, no. No. (laughs)
0: <laughs> in uh, Hebrews 11:32, 32, it says, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, uh, of David, and Samuel the prophets. And so, in 1 Samuel 12, and here in Hebrews, Deborah's not mentioned. But, in most, most of the things you look at, they list her as one of the judges. So, why is that? I'll answer quickly because we don't have time because she's a judge, because she is a judge, but she's not, not the deliverer, right? Jael actually has a, a greater claim in some senses for Sisera specifically to be the deliverer, but scripture lists Barak as, as the deliverer in that circumstance. And so, yeah, there, there's a lot of other pieces in which you can see in the text in which it says that, when it says that the people cried out, it says, God raised up, raised up a deliverer, and then it gives his name. But here in chapter 4, the people cried out, and it starts talking about Deborah and that she had to beckon Barak to come down. But remember, this is a, a downward spiral. This is devolving. This is going to get worse and worse. Israel looks worse and worse as we go. So summary, as the book of Judges unfolds, we have seen the Lord working in very unusual circumstances. God strengthening Israel's enemies, foreign deliverers, an assassin, a female, a female hero, a deceptive killer, a bad smell, an ox goad, a tent peg. God's deliverance comes through divine decree and a people prepared to act. And as we, I alluded to earlier, where if we take and say, how do we apply this? Where is God providentially preparing you? Have you moved, changed jobs, got married? Did you wake up today? Like, what has God prepared you for? He woke you up today, right? Was that for no purpose? Do we see that outside His sovereign will? Why is it that He he brought us to be in this place at this time? That's true in every single moment for us. How is it that we honor God? Are we ready to act? Are we prepared for action? Consider for a moment the use of our time, talent, and treasure. Ephesians 5 15 and 16. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Are we making the best use of every moment? And then it goes on in chapter 6 Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil. In the heavenly places. The battles we fight aren't out in Moab and, 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 and in the plains, right? They're not physical battles we fight. And yet God is preparing us to act. It's these spiritual battles. And the battleground is you and me. That's where the battleground is. That's where the struggle is. Do not be lulled to sleep that we're redeeming the time. We do have an enemy. Are we wary and are we at peace with the enemy? Are we ready to respond when God is sovereignly bringing about every circumstance for his glory? We have something better than a tent peg. We have Jesus, his word, his spirit, and his church. We have have some encouragement from our, our brother Charles. No life can surpass that of a man who quietly continues to serve God in the place where providence has placed him he who does not serve God where he is would not serve God anywhere else. And so I just, as we look at the end of this and we're seeing the scene of what's happening in Judges, hard things to struggle with, areas of sin, well, we, we have sin too. It's actually one of the commentators says that, that sin is boring because it's just the same thing over and over and over again, a disobedience, a rebellion. And so we still struggle with sin to this day. God's still doing work to this day in and you and I, in the, by his providence, in the very circumstance that you're in, the very circumstance that I'm in. Um, any questions, comments, challenges? The previous screen? The
2: previous
0: screen? Uh, you can't take photos. Are you selling them? What are you doing? <laughs> okay, good. No, I, yeah, I should. Yeah. Good. Anything else, except photo ops, paparazzi?
1: Yes. How long were you claim who did and didn't read? At the beginning, you said you were going to mimic B song and part of it. those who were supposed to read. There was a no idea whether you were doing that on a basis of tribes or individuals.
0: The, I'm sorry. I lost you. I said what? Oh, no, you guys did great. So I just want to say, well done, those that, that did read. Um,
1: did great when successfully crushing the oppressors that time of God's Yeah. But she still called out those who did not end up
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm not looking for discipline here. <laughs> no, and, and, and I, it, it's, it's funny, like, to even think about that, but seriously, that's a moment that God gave. When I'm up here or any other teachers up here and they ask you a question... Are you responding? Are you proclaiming what you know? Are you reading his word? It's, it seems like small things. And that's, that's how they fell away and, and became immersed with the Canaanites. It's the same way we do it. We get immersed in our culture because they're just small little things. We're like, ah, God doesn't really care about that. This, this thing I can have for myself. There was another quote that I wanted to put where he talked about, it was funny. He said, he said you know, I just want to know the, the will of the Lord. So if he tells me to do something, I will. And he says, you decide every day what entertainment choices you're going to have. He says, how come you make those without God but to do his will you need him to talk to you directly? Right? And it's and it, that's, we, get, we fall into those things. Alright, I'm going on and on. I'm going to close this in prayer. If you have something else or you need answers, Devin, um, you can come up. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time together this morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. Father, you are so good to us, Father. I pray that we not be found forgetting the work that you have done. And, Father, as as has been mentioned before, that these very things are recorded, that we might know your works. Father, we see horrendous sin and and terrible deaths, and yet you are accomplishing your will in the midst of those things. You are bringing your justice in the midst of those things. You are redeeming your people in the midst of those things. Father, we just pray that we would consider those things as we walk this day, Seeking to please you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.